growing from freelancer to agency is just a series of what's the next problem I have to solve. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Content Marketing Podcast brought to you by Hedge, the finance content agency. Today, I'm joining the show by Maddie Osman. Maddie's the founder of The Blogsmith, a content writing agency. Um, she's She's got a book, which we were just talking about um, briefly before we hit record. And today, we're going to be talking about scaling from freelancer up to agency. Um, this is something that Maddie's done um, a lot of content around, talks about, um, and I think it's going to be really valuable for, for people who are maybe thinking of, of taking taking that leap or are being forced into it because I've got clients banging down their doors. So Maddie, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really, uh, really good to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and um, super excited to talk about this topic. Yeah, definitely. So probably um, what would be useful maybe if, if before we kind of start jumping straight into that, you could give us a little bit of an overview of of like where you're at with your agency at the moment, mm-hmm. like in, in what what stage of this kind of scale up process um, are you at and maybe where have, where have you come from to get there? Totally. Yeah. So when I graduated college, I took on my first full-time job. It was a sales job. Same thing with the next one I took after that. I had always seen it as a foot in the door. And I honestly, when I initially graduated, I wasn't really considering freelancing. I wasn't really considering entrepreneurship. But um, I will say it's in my blood. My dad was an entrepreneur. He eventually sold his company to fund his retirement. And so it it wasn't an impossibility to me. You know, I, I saw that that was something that could be successful. I had you know, kind of the backing in my family, if that was a road I wanted to go down that I had a mentor kind of built in and um, in a process. So I had taken these jobs. Um, I I did do some freelance work on the side really because of a college job where I, I had done the same thing. My My boss in that job had introduced me to a client. And that's when I guess the possibility of freelancing sort of blossom, just the idea that, oh, I don't have to work for somebody else, even though I kind of liked to do that at the time. And then I, you know, realized in a sales job that I was unhappy. And um, it just wasn't, it wasn't leading to a marketing job as quickly as I would have wanted to, which was my eventual goal. And so Mm -hmm. I took on some more freelance clients And that eventually led to me taking the jump to leave my full-time job, working for somebody else, to freelancing for myself and for these initial clients, which were just enough to make me feel like it was a good move. And then, um, so I basically was, it was me as a writer, myself for several years. And I started to sort of outsource and delegate delegate parts of the process, small parts of the process. I still didn't really feel comfortable giving up the actual writing and like the creative aspects of what I was doing. But there were certain mm-hmm. things that I could get help with, like research or design um, pieces of the puzzle. And so I think it was early 2020, honestly, before the pandemic, but just right before that whole thing happened, where I made a decision, maybe end of 2019, I made a decision that if I was going to keep going this route, I really wanted to get out of the day to day of the writing, you know, of the, all the client management. And at that point, it was 
still a dream, I would say. I was trying to figure out how I could do it, but I had already started that process of delegating and outsourcing. And so luckily, it was just a matter of continuing to refine that process and to wear a couple more hats and then kind of like go through, well, what is it that I'm doing while I'm wearing these hats that I could teach to somebody else to do it my way, essentially, or, you know, eventually to do it better. And so 2020 was kind of when I started to hire writers and editors and even like SEO keyword researchers, because that's a big part of what we do. Um, And I just continued throughout 2020, 2021, 2022, and even now in 2023. It's just been a matter of like continuing to define the distinct roles that make up a well-functioning agency and really the specializations that need to exist within the team, um, both in terms of the creative work, but also in, in terms of the admin work. And so, so yeah, 2020 was the beginning of the agency and working with a, a larger team of freelancers. Mm, awesome. And what kind of size are you guys now? So we, I have one employee besides myself. So the blacksmith has two employees and then we have almost 40 total team members in terms of independent contractors. So they're not all working full time, but they are yeah. all, you know, specialized in terms of a very specific role that they contribute to the company. Mm. Wow. So it's been a big, it's been a big few years then. So how, how have you found, how you found that transition? Like with new clients, obviously it's pretty straightforward mm-hmm. because you can put in place a system and the new client comes on board right. and just, you know, goes under the new system. How did you work that with with existing um, clients where maybe they've worked with you for a couple of years, you're kind of trying to say someone else is going to do the day-to-day. They're like, no, Maddie, we really like you. How have you managed right, that right. or is it just kind of an ongoing process? Um, I, I would say it's managed now, but there are still people who get in touch with me and say, like, do you still write? And I say, well, I don't personally write. Um, There are certain, I don't necessarily say this, but there are certain client projects that I'll oversee because it falls within my wheel of expertise. You know, maybe there's a certain standard in terms of the information that we're sharing that I just want to have kind of the final approval on. But even with that being said, I I still don't do the writing myself. And so Mm -hmm. if a client gets in touch and they're asking if, if I'm the writer or if they just, you know, missed kind of the fact that I'm running an agency now, there is a little bit of education that happens there to say, you know, I run this agency, but it's based on my writing style, you know? And so yeah. where that, where that comes back in a way that I can sort of like prove it to them or, or maybe like make them rest at ease with working with someone who's not directly me um, is because we've taken a lot of time to develop our style guide. And so one thing that I can send you to maybe put in the show notes is a link to our style guide um, that lives on our website. And I just dropped that in the chat. Um, But it is, it's kind of like an online chapter book right now where it's like, here's how we do headings. Here's how we do links. You know, here's how we do visuals and things like that. And um, so that's, that's a piece that I can show clients to say, these are what my writers write by. These are what my editors enforce. This is our, our way of writing. It's, it's based on Mm. my way of writing, but it's really the way that we write as an agency. And so there are certain, I guess, prospects who will never become clients or who just won't become clients right now because they don't want to work with an agency. And that's just, that's just like their own internal rule. And there's nothing that I can say to 
sort of change their minds um, because they, they perhaps had a bad experience in the past with an agency or they really just like working with individuals. Um, but in terms of like the current clients I had that I transitioned over, you know, it was like a very direct conversation to say, here's how we've been working, but that's going to change now. I'm scaling up, I'm hiring help. And, you know, I, I guarantee the quality of anything I put out. And in those earlier years of transitioning from freelancer to agency, I was a lot more hands-on because I did need to ensure that the quality was up to the standards of the people that I had worked with, you know, both in terms of before it was an agency, but anybody knew that we brought on at the end of the day, it's still my reputation. And so I need to feel confident about anything that gets like stamped with, with my name, even just the name of the agency before it leaves the door. So I think that that clients just want to hear that the quality is not going to suffer by handing it off to somebody else. And so how are you going to do that? And for us, it's with the style guide. Yeah. Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, all the, all the clients want to make sure is they have consistency, right? So whether that's one person who they trust or a company who they trust because the systems are in place and they understand how it works, the end result, as long, right. as, long as the end result is there, it's, it's, it's not going to be a problem, I suppose. Totally. And I mean, that word consistency, I think is important, whether you're an individual or an agency, but I think that's, that's something that's really like unique and special that an agency can do. You don't have to work necessarily with the same writer, right? To get the same standard of quality if your team is enforcing a style guide such as such as the one that we use. And so the great thing is like somebody goes on vacation or, you know, maybe they have an unexpected emergency to deal with. And you have this, you know, high um uh, super timely piece of content that you need to be created. We can still do that, right? Without that specific mm -hmm. individual that you might have gotten used to working with that you may not even know is working on your content behind the scenes because we don't necessarily have clients working directly with writers. We have an account management team that sort of handles the back and forth. But I think that that's one really great benefit of working with an agency is like you never have to worry about a freelancer who ghosts you for one or who's just inconsistent because sometimes that's just that just comes with the territory. Um, for us, like we run a schedule, we are very strict about it. And if some, if one part of that team isn't able to deliver, we have other people on the team who can. Mm. And I think that's, that's definitely a mindset shift, isn't it? As a freelancer, because when you first start, you're creating these one-on-one -on -one relationships with people, you tend to, mm -hmm. to be working with businesses who are at a level where they're probably smaller businesses. That's often why they want to work with individuals. And sure. when you start to say, I'm not going to do the work myself, you can get a bit nervous about that. But actually, if you're up, totally. up front, all that will happen is you will attract clients who are actually more interested in working with one agency rather than trying to have find 10 freelancers themselves, right? Totally. And I mean, I, I will say I was definitely nervous to have that conversation with some clients, maybe not all of them. Some of them probably knew that that was the direction I was heading based on just other conversations we were having. There were definitely a few where I was like, this could be it. And I, I have to be okay with that if, if they like, if that's not the way that they want to work. But I can think of one client in particular who I was nervous to have that conversation with because they were so focused on like, you know, the byline and like the individual yeah. name even that got put on the article. 
Um, but again, you know, it was a process of reassurance. This is the way we do things. And then execution and showing them that the quality wasn't going to change. And now, I mean, we've probably at least tripled our output based on when I was a freelance writer versus now I'm a freelance or not a freelance, but now I'm operating an agency and they still work with multiple writers because they like to have multiple bylines and they like that diversity of opinion. And I think there's something to that for sure, but I don't think we ever yeah, would have gotten the just volume of work we did if not for showing them that we could handle it as an agency. And then them just, you know, understanding that, Oh, like, whatever we send to the blogsmith, it's it's going to be a good final draft. We're not going to have to override it. And so this is working. Let's, yeah. you know, invest more in it. Yeah, definitely. I do want to get into a little bit more about the kind of transition, but but I'm just, I'm really interested in, in this stuff. So totally. when you are, your, your ratio of contractors to full-time employees is, is very heavily towards contractors. I guess, do you, do you think that do you think that is pretty standard across the industry and how do you how do you kind of work out when is the time to take on another employee actual employee as opposed to more contractors no it's it's definitely a hard question and i think everybody's a little bit different in their philosophy for it i think for me personally it's just the ability to sort of scale up or down which is the same flexibility that we offer our clients like we have kind of a minimum we have you know an understanding client by client in terms of what they generally want each month. And then some months they want more, you know, they might want to double their output or they might just want to get ahead of something or, you know, there's like a certain push that they're wanting to make with a launch or just a specific asset they need and the pieces around it. So being able to scale up or down, it kind of helps the agency to be able to exist for a longer period of time than if we had a bunch of full-timers who half the time have a lot of stuff to do and half the time, you know, don't have as much stuff to do. And so that's, Mm. that's kind of how I think about it. I think it's important to have some full-time employees, especially to handle the higher level of these relationships with clients, you know, to be like a consistent point of contact with them, to be the one who oversees the different departments and things like that. And so I will say that Um, like my employee right now, she started as what we call a content manager. Now she's taken on some more strategic roles and things like that. So her title is director of content. I would definitely hire more content managers as we grow. I think that that's something that I'm considering even right now, like, are we at that stage where it makes sense to give full-time hours and like an employment title, you know, to another content manager. And so for for the other positions, it's honestly working really well the way it is. Um, and again, kind of like the spread of, of where people are at. It's account management, project management, writer, editor, the SEO team who does keyword research and other related activities. We have internal designers now. We used to work with um, an external agency called Design Pickle. There's a, there's a bunch of different ones out there. I, I liked that one, but... I'm really liking having the internal designers. And again, there's other positions too. Like we have bookkeepers. We have somebody who helps us with hiring and stuff now. Um, so there's some of those admin positions too that have, have come in house and really like gotten their own specialized roles in ter- instead of being something that's tacked on to something else. Um, mm. all, all of those things are important, but I don't know that they're full-time work yet. I would 
I would maybe consider hiring a full-time editor, you know, if they could, if they could dedicate their whole time to it, maybe a full-time writer. I can, you know, I can think of, of one person on the team who would be great for that for sure. Um, but I really, I really like the flexibility of working with contractors and I, mm. I don't think that that's necessarily standard. I think a lot of agencies work with having like, you know, me, when they're smaller, maybe having one writer that's full-time, one editor, you know, one designer sort of thing. I think the problem with that, that I, that I could see with the clients that we work with is not having first of all, just a diversity of opinion to weigh in on different things, but also a diversity of subject matter expertise. That's what I get by working mm. with all these different people. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a really tricky one. And it's really interesting to hear your thoughts on it. Cause I, I'm, I'm going through something similar myself. So I've got one employee the same. Um, and it's, it's so funny, something that you're not really prepared for. If you've not run a business for yourself before, getting contractors was one thing and there's some uh, working, you get to work with some amazing people and there's some real positives to totally. working with that. Right? But then it just makes Absolutely. sense in some, some cases to have an employee. But it's actually, it's even if you're paying that person as a contractor for like a year, all of a sudden, if it becomes right. like a salary, it's like, holy shit, I have to pay them every month, no matter what. Like I could lose all my clients. Right. How the fuck am I going to pay them? And it's a real like mindset shift to be able to like deal with that responsibility, isn't it? It's scary. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think one, one thing to keep in mind when you're, when you're hiring contractors versus employees and, and honestly, even if you were hiring employees, I think the same thing might be true is we try to have like a second for every position, even if that's not their full role, but like, like our account managers are trained on some project management tasks, for example. Um, yep. The person who does hiring, there's other people on the team that know how to do those tasks, even though like they wouldn't necessarily jump in to do them unless that person was out sick or on vacation or things like that. And so like, that's the great thing with contractors is like I could hire like a, a second and not have to necessarily give them full-time hours. I mean, when I write a job description, for example, I'm trying to be really clear about like, this is this amount of hours per week. You know, this is kind of yeah. what I expect the hourly commitment to be. It's not a full-time job, but you know, it's, it's a part-time job. It could grow. Like as we grow, there are more opportunities. And so I think that that's, that's one way to get started at least. And then as your company grows and you do have these consistent needs, I think that's when you really consider like, should I hire an employee or should, should I hire an employee that maybe does two roles or something, you know, so that when there, there's a month where, yeah, there's just not as much to do, they could still work on this other thing. I'll, I'll train them for yeah. that. You know, that'll be their position. Um, and then if there's, you know, a contractor who's a second, then they can supplement in times of, high need, but they can also do something else um, in times when there isn't that need. So if you've got a freelancer who's uh, got a pretty full schedule, maybe they're not working too hard on new business development, but they've got kind of a, a steady stream of, of mm -hmm. stuff coming in. What are some kind of signs that you would look for 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 when they should make that jump if they if they want to if that's kind of a long-term goal when yeah what are some signs that it's, it's a good time for them to kind of make that move sure i would say in generally speaking i'm a very risk averse person which may not make sense for like the line of business i've gotten into but <laughs> i'm all about taking small and like reasonable risks and so for me personally that looks like what I was describing before in terms of starting small, working with like virtual assistants and 
parsing out pieces of the puzzle. And then after that, you know, continuing to kind of say, okay, this month I'm really thinking about account management and what are sort of the delegatable tasks of that and what are the processes that I follow in terms of doing that, you know, creating kind of like workflows and checklists and uh, standard operating procedures and then and then using all of that to then create a job description and an application. And another thing that we do is a paid test project because people can say one thing on a job application or during an interview or something like that. But I really want to see how they would respond to situations specific to my company, like common things that come up or not so common things. I want to test their judgment and I want to see also kind of their communication skills is a lot of what goes into these paid tests when it's not a writer position specifically, although that also factors into that as well. Um, and so, yeah, my my like best tip that's that's worked for me is to just start by doing it piece by piece. Um, I, I would say, I guess, another trigger for me specifically to to start down this path was I was just getting overwhelmed with writing a lot of content, you know, every day, every week, every month. And I, I love to write. I think that it's, you know, a wonderful creative pastime. It's um, it's something that I, I appreciate that I was able to turn into a paid job for so long and, and now to transition it to something that I, I don't do myself, but I oversee. And I, you know, I'm still really excited to like help develop our style guide and to weigh in on issues of like, how do we do things in terms of writing a draft or editing a draft and things like that? But I think for me, it was just realizing like, I can't do this forever. And I also, you know, I like to travel and as the head of my company now, it's also like, I need to be available for like business networking events and um, just like big picture things. And if I know I have like a draft to do every day, it's yeah. really hard to get in the mindset of, of deep work even. I mean, even if mm -hmm. I had a draft due a week, I think it would still be be hard because it would just be weighing on me in the back of my head. Why aren't you working on this? You know, <laughs> like that's that's your job. That's what you have to do. And so to yeah. to be able to now looking back, like get past all of that and just know like your job is to to grow the business and to to do the marketing for the business to some extent to be to be this like ceremonial head of the business or whatever you want to call it. Um, there's a lot of like freedom in, in knowing that I don't have to get caught up in the day to day. And as a freelancer, you wear so many hats, you have to do all the things. There's something exciting about that, but there's also something that's terribly um, like, it, it just holds you back. Cause like one mm -hmm. thing that I always really hated about running my business and I still have to do it to some extent, but is like the invoicing and like the bookkeeping. And now I have yeah. people to help with that. So I still have to, I still have to be a part of that process, but I don't have to execute it. Yeah. I think that's a really, it's interesting that you went that way from the get go. Cause I think what I did and what I, I think a lot of other freelancers do when they make this transition is like, 
I've got too much work on. I outsource the writing. So I, I, I get someone else to do the writing and then I end up doing everything else. Right. So what I found is I ended up being the admin person for the business and everyone else was doing right. the writing. I'm like, hold on. I, I was getting more work because <laughs> I'm a good writer. I'm doing this completely wrong. So I've, I've right, gone full right. circle and now I've, now I've got a PA and, and mm. I'm trying to get back to doing the right way. But it's interesting nice. you explaining that you you did it the right way and that you kind of focused on your strengths and why you were being successful and mm. finding someone else to help with the other side. And I guess that has the added benefit of your basically creating an agency model with all the operating procedures and systems and stuff, but just with you as the writer, mm. which then makes it easier to transition out of that writer role when, when, and if the time comes. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, I think, again, I didn't go into it thinking that like that's how it was going to go or that's what I was going to do. It's, it's just that that's, Mm -hmm. that's how it best worked out. And I think another pivotal moment for me to, to jump from freelancer to agency was once I figured out some of like the writing stuff and how to outsource that, like the full process of the writing, the next thing was how do I get out of being an editor? You know, because that's still time bound. (laughs) It still requires a high level of detail. I don't necessarily want to do it. So like, I think what I heard you saying is, you know, like, like the writing was like the part that you enjoyed, or at least you knew you're really good at. And so to, to outsource that, to take on all the admin stuff that you don't necessarily want to do. It's like, well, that's taking the joy out of work for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and like, to some extent, I like editing, but I, I wouldn't want to do it on a daily basis. And so it's like you solve one problem and then you have another one that you have to solve. And so it's just it, growing from freelancer to agency is just a series of what's the next problem I have to solve. Yeah. I think it's like an old, I think it's an old book now. It's called like, and there's been lots of other books written off the back of it, but the e 3 Revisited, I think does a really good job of that as basically, and it's Mm -hmm. a a practice that I've gone through is like basically draw out the organization chart of the company that you want to have, the agency you want to have. And obviously you you start with writers at the bottom and you basically just at the start, you are the person that does everything from CEO to head of accounts to writer. And then you basically just move yourself slowly up up the chain. I thought that's a really good way to kind of think about it. hundred percent. I think that's, that's exactly what I did. So, so what about from like a branding perspective, right? So again, in terms of the transition, like you've got maybe as a freelancer, maybe a personal website, you'll have your LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. How would you make a change to that? And then just kind of address it with the client when you're on a call, would you decide, okay, I'm going to make this change. I'm maybe going to keep my personal website, but I'm going to have some references to like my agency website. Like how would you make that kind of clear, clear change once you've decided to to make a move? Absolutely. Yeah. So my background before I got into content was web design and development. And so the website was really like the first thing I knew needed to change in line with this new way of doing business. And so that is something I spent a lot of time talking about or thinking about rather, and sort of like strategizing in my own head, how I wanted to make that transition. And so my freelance website was my business website. Luckily, just by, you know, without planning it this way, I already had kind of a name for my writing business that was separate from me, the blogsmith. That was what I called myself back when it was just me. That's what we call ourselves now. And so that part was easy because it wasn't 
you know, Madeline Osmond's or Maddie Osmond's like freelance portfolio was just the blogsmith. And Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, the website, I think was a very big piece of making that transition. And so um, I worked with a design agency. Um, I had a lot of ideas and they helped me to execute them. The website really became a balance of sort of founded by Maddie Osmond. And this is why, you know, that's relevant and why you know that you're going to get quality and experience. And, you know, again, sort of the idea of the style guide based on my way of doing things. And so there's a lot of infusions of me within the website. And now we're kind of at this point where it it really needs another facelift because it's almost too much about me, where again, Mm. my role is not to do the writing or the editing or much more than approvals for some clients these days and and weighing in on things that affect style as a whole. Um, And so we're kind of going through that process once again, because the agency sort of continues to develop develop without me, which is what I want is for it to be not independent of me, but, but also existing as a separate entity from me. So that is like a big transition to make when you go that route is, is just that separation where it's infused with you, but it's not about you. Um, mm. So, yeah. So like we're, for example, right now we've been working on a lot of, a lot of pieces, a lot of creative assets and, and even just page rewrites, you know, that, that really like kind of go away from that. I guess the point is you don't have to, if your big vision is to have a hundred person agency, you don't have to go from being a freelancer to all of a sudden portraying yourself as a hundred person agency. Like it's okay to go through various like um, iterations of what the business looks like and whatever you set up now is going to change, right? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I would say, yeah, the one thing that I would keep in mind if, if that's your dream is to try to establish a separate brand now for the work that you do that isn't sort of tied up in your name, you know, think of, think of a name for your company. I think that's just the best practice in general when you're operating a business to to think of it as a separate entity. Um, Mm. Another way that that's kind of come into play or been important too is in developing a social strategy. So my account on Twitter and even, I guess, like on LinkedIn and, and things like that, I've always built up my personal accounts um, I used to be really active in the Chicago blogging community and to some extent when I moved to Denver also here. And so social media was a big part of finding success with that. And so I built up my personal channels to have a lot of followers. And now that I'm you know, trying to separate these entities and getting really strategic with, with how I do that and how I create that separation in terms of even just like the voice of me as a founder, as an individual, as kind of like a contributor to this business, but also having these business accounts that are themselves based on that, but also distinct and different. Um, that's that's something that I've spent a lot of time on recently is just like, how do I create that separation? What's like appropriate to post here versus there? How do we do it? So that's, I think, another thing to think about is if you're going to go this route, thinking about, you know, your different promotional channels and how they need to also separate and be different than your own individual accounts, which which might have worked really great for you up to a point. And you should still take advantage of using them if you have great reach. But it's also a matter of saying, well, I'm distinctly different than this. And so you should follow that account if you want more about the agency. Mm. And I guess worth, worth saying as well, like, if 
you want to have a true business in the future where you don't have to work on it day to day. You can have a month doing something different or you want to sell it. Like you do need to have that separation, don't you? Otherwise you will never get out of that day to day. You will never be able to sell it because it's not worth anything if you're not there doing all that day to day stuff. Right. And I mean, I think the same can be said about even just like your finances. Right. So when I, when I was an early freelancer, I don't think I handled this particularly well I don't think I handled it particularly bad but nowadays like my company is an S corp um before that it was an LLC and I you know pay myself through a payroll processor gusto in our case and mm-hmm. you know having that separation where it's like the money that comes into the business isn't like going into my personal account mm-hmm. you know it gets paid out we pay payroll taxes it's it's buttoned up. It's the right way of doing things. I think that's also important as you think about growing the business, first of all, creating that separation. And then if you do want to sell it in the future, you know, following sort of like the best practices and not commingling things in a way that's confusing. And, and also, I think it's just good to get in the habit of paying yourself a regular amount, even if your work is irregular. Yeah. 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 For sure. Um, so the last thing I really wanted to, to have a bit of a talk to you about is just kind of the, I guess, the practicalities, right? So you've got a big team and yeah, some of them maybe only do one or two articles a week, uh, sorry, a month. Um, others maybe do, you know, a lot more than yeah. that. You've got a lot of a lot of like balls to juggle, I guess, in terms of all these people, the work coming in, the work going out. What are some of the like either the systems or the the technology or software and things that you really value or use a lot to make sure that all of that stays like, you know, on track. Totally. Yeah, no, we are all about our tech tools, especially because um, we're a distributed workforce. Everybody's remote. My, my employee, she actually lives in Colorado too. So that's great because we can periodically meet, but most of the business operations happen online. So mm-hmm. tools like Slack are really important. And I will say I fought paying for it for the longest time, but it's just to be able to have that message history and like, searchability. Um, it, it really is so important. I tried to get around that by being like, document everything in Notion. And, you know, if it seems like something you need in the future, grab it. But it, it's just, no, like you need it. Once you get a team of that size and you're sending and, and you're working with a high volume of client work, there's just like, you know, rich information within your own Slack that you, that you need to have access to. Um, yeah. So that's a big one. Having systems around how you use tools like Slack or Notion as kind of like an intranet, I think are really important. You know, having channels like for each client, for each department, for, you know, each initiative even is really useful because then people can have sort of structured and organized conversations with other people who are involved. Um, What do you use for like a content calendar? Well, I would say for us personally, it's Airtable. Um, and that's kind of a newer transition. And it's something that I'm trying to move clients over to as well, just in terms of like the body of work we've created for them. Um, we we sort of track the work that we're doing in other ways. That's not specifically a content calendar. What we do is we send a weekly email on Fridays typically that says, you know, here's what we did last or here's what we did in the past week. Here's what we have planned for the next week. 
And then here's anything that's like a blocker for us that we either need you to approve or like otherwise weigh in on, or maybe we need new topics to be approved, for example. Um, so yeah, we haven't, we haven't managed things far out outside of strategic planning within, you know, tools like Google Docs and things like that. Um, but Airtable is like the big push that we're making right now. So, but for our actual content production process, we use a tool called Process Street. And I just found that there was no project management tool that fit, I guess, the way I think about things and the way I want things to be executed in terms of like a timeline and specific person assigned and um like like custom fields really was like the biggest thing that I couldn't find a great way to do that in a tool like Trello or Asana or um to do us or you know whatever. I tried a bunch of different tools and um Process Street allows us to build a completely custom workflow. It has a lot of things like conditional logic so I can customize it for different clients and projects um, or even just like steps that don't need to happen on every project. Like not every project needs keyword research if it's like an ebook or something like that. And so that's a huge one that like runs our whole company basically. And it does other processes too, but our kind of production process is really the biggest one. So yeah, I would say the absolute most important tools for us are Google Workspace, Notion, Slack, Process Street, Zoom for doing client calls and calls with the team. Um, Airtable, if I didn't say that. Those are like non-negotiable need them in order for the business to run. Awesome. Well, look, that's been um, really, really useful, interesting, interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I want, um, I guess, the, the last Absolutely. thing to, to talk a little bit about is um, the the bookie. Is that has that just come out recently? That's pretty new. It's newish. It came out last July. Um, and so okay. it's called Writing for Humans and Robots, The New Rules of Content Style. It's available on Amazon and print and Kindle pretty much worldwide. Um, and it's really based on our company's style guide to some extent. I, I kind of took the online version of the style guide and I really fleshed it out with context and why we did it this way. And what to do versus what not to do to to help people understand how to use the different rules that we've defined. Um, there are also things about like our own writing process, how you can take those into your process. There's also a huge section about SEO and you know how to to some extent how to do keyword research. You know how to incorporate keywords within your content, written in a way that it's not like super. Um, timely i guess what i'm trying to say is like without getting too deep into the tactics or the tools just best practices and like foundational yep. knowledge because that field changes so often but mm -hmm. writing for the web was really the goal of it and so if you're familiar with a book like the elements of style you know written i think it was back in either 1919 or 1920 a lot of those rules still apply they just didn't know that the internet was going to be a thing. And so when you write <laughs> yeah. for the web, you have to be conscious that you're writing for a global audience. So, so that, that was really like the genesis of, uh, and the reason for the book is, is to be, to be a thoughtful writer, a good, you know, global citizen and to create a great reader experience. Yeah. Awesome. I'll definitely drop the link to that in the show notes. Um, if people want to reach out to you and, and get in touch, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Sure. Yeah. Twitter, I'm probably most active on. So I'm at Maddie Osman. And then, you know, also happy to connect on LinkedIn if you want to talk about business. So Madeline Osman is what you would search there. Great stuff. Well, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, it's been really good. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.